Ben Shapiro. And so, mm. and so there were three rings made for the elves, seven for the dwarves, and nine for men. There's one ring that they weren't told about, though. One ring to rule them all. Someone got really, really jealous <clears throat> and made his own. Somebody was a sassy bitch. I'm going to accessorize. Somebody decided to break the rules and make this ring in the fires of Mount Doom, though I do not know why that matters, nor why this ring is capable of controlling all of them, but not naming any names here. Um, yeah, Sauron, uh, <laughs> you're a kind of a shit. You're a little you, bit of a shit. You filthy, filthy bastard. You filthy man animal. I don't know. I, I, could, <laughs> I could never figure out, like, <clears throat> what, what does the One Ring actually do? Like, I haven't read the books it, because I've tried to read the books. Dyslexia and uh, high fantasy just... High fantasy okay, is you know, very worried. Okay. So... Do you know? Hold on, wait, hold on. If you, maybe, do you know what the the apple of Eden is from Assassin's Creed? Yeah, it's capable of completely bending the will of anybody mm-hmm. to it. It's a little bit like that. Um, imagine that, and imagine taking your corgi for a walk, mm-hmm. and how it doesn't <clears throat> listen to you mm-hmm. until you tug on the leash and go. Get the hell out of there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the Ring of Power is, it's called the Ring of Power because it gives power to whoever wields it. I, I got to say, I, I like this situation mostly because I kind of would like to have a corgi. The, the, yeah. cor, the corgi part is the part that... It does come with the corgi. Yeah. Also, uh, some okay. fun facts. Um, in the original version of The Hobbit didn't actually have focus on the ring as a Ring of Power. It was just like a magic ring. Mm-hmm. That, I think that's why mm-hmm. the ring itself has been made confusing. <clears throat> so another fun fact there's a ring is the reason why like a bell ring <laughs> the bell of the bell the, you the get bell. away i'm gonna get out my bell of power <laughs> you better all, watch out there's i'm all, gonna ring it there's I'm all gonna ring there's it. all these rings my, and siron makes my, this this slightly scary bell you you better watch out i'm gonna ring this bell and a tiny man's gonna come tiny man's gonna come out Gonna have some strong words with you. Thank you for continuing. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna give you the hard word. <laughs> I thank you for moving moving on with more words after that. Well, and like, on it's gonna that, be really uncomfortable. And on that note, um, hello everybody. Um, welcome back to another installment of the Lobby Boys. I am Zach. I'm Terry. And I am the corporeal being known as Naveed. And ooh. And uh, we are currently recording at 9.30 in the morning. Again. Again. And so we all just woke up, and mm-hmm. but we are dedicated to our podcast. And we are, we are, we, hopefully we got some, some nice topics lined up today. We didn't really have time to communicate everything. Um, and Naveed hazed me in the car ride over here about my small topic, so I changed it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to kind of uh, throw a line out and mm-hmm. see where it goes. But I think I had a, a pretty good redirect. Um, and what I wanted to actually talk about to open the episode up is something light, something a little bit fun. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, because as you all know, Venom 2 is right around the corner. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. There will be carnage. 
Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty excited, honestly. Uh, that had me thinking on the note of antiheroes and mm-hmm. how kind of interesting antiheroes can be um, or not interesting that they can be. <laughs> but I, I think to some extent, um, antiheroes bring um, some display of uh, spice to the the general mix of heroes and villains because it's like, oh, are they bad or are they good? Oh, they're bad <laughs> in this issue or they're good in this issue. So, um, so on the topic of Venom or other antiheroes, I oh, would like man. to open the floor up for a lighthearted discussion regarding these tier of limbo people, I would say. I just first off want to say that Rorschach from Watchmen is not an antihero. I think we just need to like get that out right here. He's he's, he's, a, he's misunderstood. He's a bit aggressive. <laughs> it it's a thing that like hearing about this, all I can think about is like all those people are like, "Oh, Rorschach is my hero" and stuff like that. It's like, no, he's not supposed to be the hero here. He's supposed to be wrong. Exactly. <laughs> Who's saying that he's a hero? So many people on the internet. Oh, there's so people that are like, I identify with Rorschach. Guess what? I'm not talking to you anymore. That, that's what Alan Moore's exact reaction is. He's like, there are people that talk to me and say that they identify with Rorschach. I ask those people to stop talking to me. So you you identify as you know what? I'm not even gonna gonna I'm not even gonna get into the details. <clears throat> okay, so Rorschach, Naveed. All right. Um, well, let's get let, let's do a quick one on the you know most famous roguish antihero. Um, Han Solo. Yes. Well, I guess he kind of starts out as an anti-hero. Sort of goes to like a regular hero by the end. He kind of, aside from him not having much to do in uh, the uh, third uh, third original uh, Star Wars movie. uh, Always been, you know, that, 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 that criminal, you know, guy. That criminal guy. That criminal guy. Please do not gulp in the microphone again. Yeah. Sorry. That that will not be talked. <laughs> you just made me cringe. I'm sorry. Well, now I have to leave it in because I was just going to cut that out. Yeah. What do you think I do when I edit back? Take little sounds out. You? D- <gasps> no way. Yeah. When when I can, I take little sounds out. So yeah. So yeah. Thanks to Zach, everybody. We're leaving the gulp. Thanks, Zach. <laughs> oh Jesus! Whatever. <laughs> What are you looking at your watch for? Right? Oh, this is going so on far how, too long. How much longer do we have? <laughs> oh, no. How much lo- Oh, we just started. It's, it's the at the now. beginning. All right. So Han well, Solo. <clears throat> yeah. Well, yeah, we, we can keep going. I, I didn't think we really needed to go much into him. So. Well, no. I'm, I'm going to say most people. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I get what you're saying. You know, I, I definitely understand, you know, like where Han Solo came from. I mean, mm-hmm. he, was, he was a mercenary. He did his fair share of bad not things. exactly a mercenary. He was a smuggler. Well, he was a mercenary in Hope. He was hired for a mercenary. He was hired for a... He wasn't hired to fight. He was hired to just move people from one place to another. But I'm going to blow your mind. Mm-hmm. Han Solo, first Uber driver. You what? First Uber driver. Oh First my Uber. god! <laughs> In the galaxy far, far away, of all places. Solo. Maybe that'll be the name of the episode. <clears throat> Han Solo Uber driver. Han Solo's <laughs> First Uber driver. Um, I don't know. Yeah, he might be on something. Yeah, it's it's wild to be honest. At this rate, man, already 
having pilot episode names. Oh man, mm-hmm. oh. you know, Dad. I think there's another anti-hero that you really like that you haven't really touched upon. Do tell. Morbius. Okay. The living vampire. Yeah. Yeah. Me some Morbius. I uh, don't like you know the cartoon version so much. I haven't seen the cartoon enough to like get that deep in. It's it's actually makes him <clears throat> weird. I'm like a weird character. Like he's a vampire. Not really a vampire. He's a plasma vampire. I mean, that's a thing of like in a children's cartoon, you can't really show someone drinking blood. Right. But then why have the vampire in <laughs> Because it's a part of Marvel Comics and Spider Man Comics. He's on a strict grape juice diet. <laughs> I mean, then you have uh oh, why am I forgetting his name right now? I will have to look because there is a character that day uh, for a cartoon. Oh, why am I drawing a blank on him? Um, hang on. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm so pause sorry, for, everybody. Pause for dramatic effects. <clears throat> I'm so sorry. Um, would Azrael from DC count as a, uh, an anti-hero? Grifter. Yeah. Grifter. Yeah, he definitely would, especially especially at Arkham Knight. It's yeah. Grifter. Um, Grifter. He was Grifter. Oh yeah, Grifter. Grifter. Yeah, he he had technically laser guns. <laughs> he didn't have yeah. bullet. Guns. Oh yeah, the, the like yeah, in GI Joe where Lassic everybody shot lasers. Well, or the A team where they shot nobody. Hundreds of rounds of ammunition being spilled everywhere, and nobody gets shot. You know, not even a graze. It's actually funny. A team antihero. Well, they're everyone's anti. Well, it's actually funny that you mentioned uh, the Batman universe, Navi, because I was actually, I was going to bring up Red Hood for a minute, but then uh, my mind kind of went elsewhere to another slept on anti-hero, Plankton from Spongebob. <laughs> you know, if you, I, now that I really think about it, I mean, he's, he's a bad guy, but he, you know, he does what he can to help. I mean, he hasn't killed anybody. That we know of. <laughs> that we know it, it, of. Except he has you a restaurant called the Chum, the Chum bu- Bucket. You go behind the Chum the Bucket. The Chum Bucket. You go behind the Chum Bucket and it's like a mass grave. Mm. I mean, what, are, what are all these shallow graves doing back here? <laughs> no, no, no. But um, even as a kid, um, I liked Red Hood quite a bit. And um, when... I, I don't... I, I guess I can't necessarily remember what solidified my love for Red Hood. It was probably whenever I learned that, you know, Jason Todd was tortured by the Joker for this subsequent amount of time and then promptly killed. And then Because came, some guy like wrote in a billion times to DC comics for them to kill Yeah. Him and, and and then came back to life via this Lazarus pit. And that's where I discovered like what the Lazarus pit was and what it did. And then, well, if we go on, I think it was the original version was that Superboy Prime like <laughs> broke the time barrier or something and brought him. Back yeah, to life. we're not going to talk about. We're not going to talk about that one because the Lazarus Pit one is the more plausible yeah, one, and it makes more sense. Um, well, I mean, as a kid, you know, with antiheroes, you're like, oh, well, they're cool, and they look cool, and they they do this, and they they fight bad guys, but they also fight good guys. They fight bad guys, but they're also not. And, you know, for the most part of your childhood, that's what you look at antiheroes. And then as you get older, you start getting into the, you know, the psychology of, of, their, of their methods. And then as I got older, 
and kind of learned that Jason Todd is fucking crazy. Yeah. As Red Hood, I'm kind of like, well, he he's, he still fights bad guys, <laughs> but he kills bad guys. Um. Well, but but he fought Batman. Oh, but he tried to kill Batman. Batman's also an anti-hero. Yeah. You really look at it. He's met busting skulls. He's breaking bones. Yeah, fair he's enough. He's a billionaire in a Halloween he's costume. Not... <laughs> he's not uh, technically deputized. You know, there's one uh, he's a vigilante? anti-hero I want to touch upon, uh, Moon Knight, mm. who I learned recently has a fighting style the Taskmaster wouldn't copy because his fighting style is he will just take every hit he gets so like someone will be like stabbing him he doesn't even block it he just like will take the stabbing and just keep punching them i think the funny part about moon knight is that he's actually crazy he is literally <laughs> he's actually he, crazy he is literal diagnosed with with the crazy with the psychosis yeah, I, he, it's schizophrenia i think is what he has i think he has a couple of things actually yeah. he's PTSD. It, it's bad it's bad it's a bad i mean moon knight's cool moon knight's cool i, I like moon knight i like um, I think the most recent one, what was it, Mr. Moon? What was it? Mr. Moon? The one where he's in the suit. I think it was like that persona for him. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Riding around in his limo. There's... A pretty cool look, honestly. Mm-hmm. Just in the masks, rolled up sleeves. Just Well, okay, guys. Well, well let, me, let me ask you this, though, since we kind of have found a common ground with, mm. you know, mental deficiencies. Because that <laughs> that's something that is shared with a lot of anti-heroes, you know, Jason Todd, Moot Knight. I, I wouldn't call it a Am I an anti-hero? Mental de- deficiency. Maybe maybe good guy, bad guy crazy? <laughs> I think it'd just be kind of, uh, I wouldn't say crazy. Issues. Well, technically. Confused. I guess since Moon Knight, the structure of Moon Knight's character, he's crazy because he's got all the voices in his head. Um, yeah, well, I mean, Jason might be listening to a god. J- Jason Todd might be a little bit crazy, but at you know, at, at the understanding of you know, he still remembers being tortured and dying, coming back to life. He he's had a rough ride. Mm-hmm. Um, good way to put it. He's had a rough road. <laughs> he's yeah. He's had he's had a rough road. He's he had, had a, a bad day. Ride. But I I mean, you know, where you have, I mean, I guess even Venom to some extent. I mean. This person who shares a technically a consciousness with this alien creature, you know, that, that can make you go a little bit crazy. Um, I've been reading some Venom recently, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, because uh, so when I saw the trailer, I was like, man, I forgot how much I love symbiotes. Because the symbiotes in Marvel Universe are fucking cool. Symbiotes are pretty sweet. So I read some Venom. I've never been really a fan of them. Huh? Like I, I like how a lot of people are excited about that the Venom movie. Like I watched the trailer and I just went, okay. Well, I like it. Well, no, I'm, no, I'm just saying it's just like. Well, thanks, I, it Dad. Just, it, I like this. No, thing. no, no, no. I'm just hey, hey. I can have a differing of opinion, just like you can have a differing of opinion. It's just you need to have the same opinion as me. Yeah. No, no I'm just kidding. You, you guys heard it here, folks. I tried to get a bit excited about something, but oh, uh, no, no, dear no, old no, Dad no. here decided Be to put down the it. mood. Be excited about it, by all means. No, I, I just, I, I, I watched the last movie and it was okay. And it seems like this is kind of more of the same stuff. It looks and like it just seems trying okay. a bit more. I don't know. It, it's hard to say. It's just, it's just, there's nothing about it that has me going yay. Like even the Morbius movie, I'm 
I'm like, all right, well, I, I'll, I'll go see it. Mm. Yeah, I'm not freaking out. You know, I, I, I like what I see in the trailer. Seems like they might be doing something interesting with him. So we'll see. You know, but please, I'm certain I interrupted Naveed when he was going to speak up. Naveed was Love speaking. Yeah, I was going to talk about Venom a bit. Yeah. What's Venom? <laughs> Dude, so it's a it's a storyline in Batman. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm reminded to the um the because I had that uh, have that one graphic novel, uh, The Birth of Venom, which was um Todd McFarlane's. Uh, some of his Spider-Man run, because he made uh, Venom and drew him and all that. So uh, it's interesting of uh, the character of Eddie Brock and just how like he's introduced as Venom. Because Spider-Man had the symbiote before, but then Eddie get it, got it, and like both him and Venom wanted to kill Spider-Man. But the thing I thought was interesting was that he was introduced as being an antagonist towards Spider-Man, but not towards everyone else. Because on his way from wherever the fuck it is that he was to go kill Spider-Man in New York. He travels with his family, and, like, there's some sort of robbery uh, with these guys who threaten the family. And he kills uh, the guys that, like, attacked all these innocent people and leaves the innocent people alone. Who did? Venom. In the, in the like, came to New York to kill Spider-Man? Yeah. That's not a thing. Yeah. No. The yeah. symbiotes aren't bad. <clears throat> their, no. their goal is to bond with the perfect host. Yeah. Yeah. But v- Venom hates Spider-Man because Spider-Man rejected him. Yeah. And then bonded with Eddie, who already hated, who already hated Spider-Man. Yeah, so it, the point well, was that they were going to kill Spider-Man. Oh, I thought you meant like from the beginning. I'm like, there, no, 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 no. There's no. no. There's no vendetta at the beginning. No, okay, no. I'm following you now. Yeah. All right, so, I got you now. Yeah, going from whatever he was. And then right, all right. the way it shows that like, maybe he's not as bad as he is. Like, sure, he's an antagonist for Spider-Man. But like, in general, he's not a bad guy. I... I I don't like that they, they, because Venom. Marvel does this thing that makes me crazy when a character becomes popular. You know, find ways to, especially like a Venom, or not not a a villain. They'll they'll fix it so it's like, oh well, okay. You know what? Actually, they're they've been a good guy the whole time. He already was because they don't want people to like villains because of. You know, and be excited about them. Today's because then they're like, "Oh, okay, let's do this." Today's universe. I mean, they kind of already showed that, though. Like I said, that issue was um, an early issue. Like it was right before the first SmackDown between Venom and Spider-Man that that happened. I mean, villains are pretty popular nowadays. Yeah. I I would leave it in to them no more. No, um, I think that it's just people like, you know. I think we can all agree that like antagonistic characters are cool. Yeah, they have depth. Yeah, I mean Darth Vader, Mister Freeze, badass. Mister Freeze was made amazing uh, with uh, with the Batman the Animated Series. Mm-hmm. They saved Mister. They saved Mister Freeze quite a bit. They saved Mister Freeze. I, I oh, remember yeah. a time where um, I was listening to this. I think it was a podcast, or maybe it was a YouTube group, and they they were talking about Mister Freeze. And they were like, I, I actually remember when Mr. Freeze was boring. <laughs> and then they were like, and, and then he was saved. It's like the Messiah. I, I think it's funny. Um, actually, now that 
you know, Terry, kind of kind of in relation to what you were saying of like one thing that makes me crazy is when um when a character becomes popular, that's when they become good. They they just yeah. start adding all of this substance and depth yeah. to them when it's like, okay, we're gonna give them an origin story, we're gonna give them a, a, a prequel story, and then X Men Origins will be Mm-hmm. And uh, that didn't do good. No. So, I but think, I, I think they they took that as a as a as a learning experience. Um, and then I mean, of course they did. I mean, X Men, uh, uh, the New Mutants movie came out. Then you you know all, all I have to say. Uh, I'm not going to get political here about that movie, but all I have to say <laughs> all I have to say about it is Ryan Reynolds is a good actor. Ryan Reynolds is a good actor. It's a good, he's a good actor. Yeah. Well, I, uh, you know, like I said, guys, I, like, I, I like, just mm-hmm. wanted to uh, touch base on... What, do, what are you looking up, Terry? You guys oh, no, I, I was going to say, I, I like Ryan Reynolds. I've always liked Ryan Reynolds when he was on a TV show. I, I liked him on there. He was on TV show. Mm-hmm. He's been a pretty entertaining actor in uh, all the stuff I've seen him in. His Twitter is what wakes me up in the morning. He's in fear. <laughs> he always make he always makes fun of his wife. Fear of Ryan Reynolds. I remember the one post that I saw. I, there was like there's like compilations you can watch on YouTube of just like his posts, <laughs> and one of them was which is like my my daughter whatever has always wanted to go to Disney World. So whenever I whenever I came back from the trip, I told her all about it. Like, I love that so much. You would have liked it. It was great. You would. This is what you could have done. It was so cool. This. We went to Galaxy's Edge and we did this. <laughs> it was so but, fun. You should do it someday. But uh, yeah, no, guys. I, I just wanted to kind of you know open the floor up a bit and uh, you know talk about any heroes because they are, you know, in essence, interesting mm-hmm. yeah. to some extent. And but, not in that way of oh, look at how cool and edgy he is with his trench coat. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> the anti-hero just... isn't a look. No, it's not. It's not. I'm just saying. That is a good a way to look at it. That's a good way to put it. It, but it is not a look. Generally, though, anytime someone's like, I want to be an anti-hero character, they always give it themselves a trench coat. They mm. always go with the trench coat. Except for Spike. Spike and Buffy? <laughs> wow. I'm fucking with you, Dad. And us. <laughs> I don't know if you were. <laughs> That was pretty I'm, serious. I'm, Spike Spiegel. I'm not 100% sure. Like, I think the fact that I just put my head down made him go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I I think he changed gears in his brain. But, you know, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. But yeah. yeah, I was just fucking with you there. Well, actually, Faye would be more of an anti-hero than I Spike. I mean... Because she is way more conflicted than he is. Yeah, but I think that, honestly, a lot of the... Uh, People on the Bebop are a lot more morally gray. Pretty much, but I'm just I'm just saying Faye is way more because she more than Spike kinda grapples with like going this way or that way. Yeah, that's true. She's pretty tug and bull, so I mean that makes sense because Spike's whole thing is literally distancing himself from the mm-hmm. past and trying to not like mm-hmm. look back at it, but hers is that her past is gone, so like she has nowhere to really go and is drifting most of the time. Yeah, drifting both mentally and literally. On the like Kane and Kung Fu, going from place to place, getting adventures. <laughs> 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 <What do> you... <laughs> I 
which leads me forward into um, a weird little thing that uh, people were really big in for a while that they don't really do much. They still do it, but it's 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 not as prominent. It's not as normal, I guess you could say right now. Movie novelizations. Mm. There's one that has come out oh. recently that because a lot of times movie novelizations would come out before the movie. They generally and, add some stuff to the movie too. Uh, they usually work off of a early script of some kind. But uh, the one that came out recently that's got a lot of people kind of like hoeing and humming and some like it, some think, oh, it adds a little more, some thinks it shouldn't have been put out, but it was uh, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood novelization. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. But there's a bit of uh, people saying that uh, the character of Cliff loses his mystique. Some things are pretty spelled out. I mean, that's what's going to happen in a book. Well, no, it's it really like you know, it takes away the mystique of him. It's kind of like uh, Quentin Tarantino's version of uh, doing uh, so, uh, Solo, <laughs> <laughs> the movie. Uh, but yeah, so uh, like. I've read a couple movie novelizations of uh, stuff. Um, I kind of like, like uh, one of the first ones I, I read was uh, Star Trek's uh, First Contact. Mm. Oh, okay. It, it didn't add a lot, but um, it was, it was, a, it was, it was neat because mm-hmm. I, I already saw the movie. It wasn't like I read it before <coughs> I saw the movie. But uh, yeah, um, what have you guys? read that are movie novel i have the novelization collection of the uh, star wars films mm. i have those in book form um <laughs> i mean it's <laughs> <laughs> um are they are they good books i enjoy lightsabers like lightsabers. <laughs> um, no, no, no. Um, they're not awful books. They're they're not they're not too bad. Um, you know, you need to re- you also need to take in with you that it's like okay, I'm reading a novelization of the film, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, Phantom Menace, which is the infamous film that didn't do well. Um, there there's a lot of you know pretty much long story short. There's a lot of eh. You have to wade through. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I'd say that they were novelized pretty well. I, I, you know, I, I, I've had them since I was young, and I, I would always go back to them once in a blue moon. Um, and then I, then I forgot how to read for a while, <laughs> so then I like just stopped reading books. You had to relearn it. I, it I, I remember one time, um, I, I was reading like this, like this crime, like this crime thing on my phone and I'm like, this is too sophisticated for me. And uh I, I would get stuck on a lot of the big, big words, the seven like the seven letter ones, guys. I'm like, I'm talking. I'm, <laughs> I'm talking like this is my low here. And then I'm like, I gotta get back get back to yeah. the gym. Go back to the word gym. <laughs> back to the word gym. <laughs> get get going again. Um what about you, Navid? I've read maybe like three movie novelizations in my lifetime that I can remember at least. Um I've partially read the novelization for the uh, alien 
movie, that first one, uh, by I think it was Alan Dean Foster wrote that one. How was that novelized? Was that pretty good? That was pretty good. It did uh, add some extra details. It did add sort of a spooky air to it, honestly. I loved it. Um, the Clone Wars novelization uh, for the movie that they had, pretty fun. Uh, and the novelization for John Carter. Okay. Which was right. funny because it came in the book that was like two books. It was it was the movie novelization and the original novel of The Princess of Mars. Nice. Here's a here's an interesting little weird meta thing. So William Gibson wrote the short story Johnny Mnemonic, mm-hmm. and then um, he wrote the screenplay for the movie, and then somebody wrote the novelization of that movie. <laughs> A movie based on the book. A movie based on the based short on, story. Based on the short story. Based on. <laughs> well, um, you know, it's actually funny. It, uh, Ratchet and Clank did something like that. They uh, Can we go any conversation with you without hearing the words? Hey. Hey? <laughs> Hey. I you were going to say, say did I did I even start that sentence with no hey? you did I was going <laughs> to say ratchet and clank but I just wanted to mess with you there for a second <laughs> I, I was like what the hell is he about because I fucking w- talk about ratchet and clank all the time I'm gonna come over this table <laughs> no 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 they uh the the game came out the the 2016 remake um well I guess reboot um and you know it was received oddly it was received. It was received, you know. It wasn't. It wasn't great. It wasn't. Wasn't amazing, but it wasn't awful. I, you know, but um, then they then the movie came out for it, um, which Wait, there's a Ratchet and Clank movie. There is a Ratchet and Clank movie, and okay. if you have not seen it, it's on Netflix, and it's like really funny. Um, they took a lot of the cut scenes from the games, mm-hmm. and then added their own original, um, you know, screenplay and. You know, scene work out, and the movie actually comes in close to two hours. So there's actually a a lot of content in it, and then <laughs> and then there there was a book that came out with it as well, which even which adds even more detail. So you have this game, this movie, and this book, all of which have their own details in it that keep adding to the universe of it. And I think that's why that the reboot kind of sits in its own limbo of game because it was just kind of its own thing. Um and, and until the you know the new one came out, but uh it, it's it, it's pretty funny. But the the running joke with it is that it's a game based on the movie, based on the game. <laughs> the book based on the movie based on that, the game. That that was their their advertising for it, and it, it was it was su- super funny. That's funny. Um, See, that actually uh, reminds me about a, a lot of uh, movies adapted into games. Actually, there's a lot of those that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, with, a lot of disasters there during the what? GameCube and <laughs> the PlayStation with a lot that. of successes as well. With like, uh, funnily enough, X Men Origins Wolverine, the game for that was pretty fun. I heard. Yeah, apparently, it's much better than the movie. Spider Man Two, the game, which was considered the best Spider Man game until Spider Man came out on PS4. I get burnt too much on superhero games to get, ever get excited about it. Spider Spider Man Three was pretty fun. You got burnt out. I love oh, no, it, it. Like I played so many games where it's like, I love that they made like, like three. No, they made like four games based on the MCU movies. They made a lot. As 
Do you, do you know what I played when I was younger? What? On, on my cousin's GameCube, there was a Shark Tale game. Oh, God, I forgot about Shark Tale. <laughs> and then there was this dancing section that you had to do that I always get stuck on. And I was like, what the fuck is this? There were a ton. I mean, a ton of movies that were turned into games in the early 2000s. I mean, oh, games, so many. Half of the GameCube games were movies like. Shrek over the hedge. There's a Fantastic Four game. Yeah, over the hedge. There was a B movie game. Um, you remember over the hedge, man? No one talks about that movie. I love that movie. It's so funny. It's not a bad movie. It's just nobody talks about that movie. I know if nobody talks about the game, I can tell you that. <laughs> um, there and then, do you, do you guys remember when when food places would make games too? Like mm -hmm. make, like Ronald McDonald had his game. <laughs> There, there was the Burger King one called Sneak King. Oh, yeah, Sneak King. And the, the Noid, which was a forgotten mascot of yeah, Domino's. The, they brought back the Noid. The Noid is back. I know. It, they brought... Because they took him away because that guy shot up that bank while wearing a Noid mask. Yeah. Thanks for bringing it to a dark place. Yeah, Go th on. thanks for bringing that back <laughs> up. I was going to try to bring up the Noid without mentioning that. that but <laughs> thank you for that. Um, People no, gotta no, no. know. They're... There were actually quite a couple games that Domino's did with the Noid, and then, yeah, the Noid got taken away, and then there was this Crash Bandicoot game that came out on mobile where the, the Noid was a boss, and I'm like, what? And then, <laughs> then the new Domino's commercial came out, and then I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I am not Noid! of this generation. I'm not of this generation, and I remember this. This is so awesome. Don't forget Chex Quest. Chex Quest. Which they also brought back. There's, oh man, are we actually gonna fall back into this period of time? We're talk again? about Chex Quest briefly here. Chex Quest was a Doom-like game where you played as a piece of Chex Mix food, <laughs> it's so silly. holding a remote that shot green lasers yeah. at strange monsters. Yep, and it came with came with the cereal. Came with the cereal. The, the game came with the cereal. Oh man! Oh man! I didn't play Chex Quest, a, but I watched uh, a ton of the footage from the game. Some of this uh, we're going into is from that one Jontron video, but um. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! That's yeah. right! Yeah, he did do a video on like a lot that, of those. Uh, that one Captain Crunch game where you had to take care of the Crunchling, and it took so fucking long to build them up. <laughs> I, the one that I remember <laughs> that the Kool Aid Man game where he couldn't figure out how the game worked. He's like, I don't know if they're drinking the water or if this is juice. I don't even know if I'm playing this right. Let's, <laughs> let, let's move on. <laughs> no, no, no. But, um, well, wow, Terry. Well, no. There you go. You're, you're... So movie novelizations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> go ahead. Uh, like, um, I didn't really know how, how, like, how many people actually read them. Uh, but there are two podcasters that I've listened to shows from them for years. Um, uh, the most prominent one of the, of them, uh, Chris Schrader, he always talks about, you know, I read the movie novelization of this, and I, I just, it's bonkers to me, you know. But then he pointed out some some interesting stuff where, you know, there there's stuff that's in, from earlier drafts for the most part. Um, but there'll be, you know, cutscenes. So technically, before DVD, this is how you could find out the things that weren't in the movie. Hmm. Little character motivations, characters, like some characters completely taken out of movies. Like for example, if I remember correctly with the alien novelization, it included the scene where uh, 
Ripley finds Dallas and um, Brett being turned into uh, eggs. Yeah, for the that alien. thing with the wall. Yeah, yeah, it's a freaky scene, which I've people seen. didn't see for years and won't know about for years until the uh, DVD. Yeah, they also didn't see the scene where like they actually heard like what the SOS sounded like um, from the uh, derelict ship, which is pretty terrifying, honestly. Just because it's this audio of this weird garbled voice. I think it's fast. I mean, as as long as people continue learning how to read, I, I'd say that novelizations are pretty, you know, pretty popular. Um, I I myself, like I said, whenever I was in my dark time, and forgot how to read. There were so many books that I wanted to do. <laughs> Just came. Um, yeah, but, you know, I, I feel like movie novelizations are more of a thing that you get into as you age, um, cause you really just like want to just prioritize the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel like that is a hobby that comes later. Um, it, it did for me at least. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe there's some people listening that like, oh, I started with this and then I watched the movie. Well, that, mm-hmm. that's fine. You know. That's fine. Well, I know um, the recent Star Wars novelizations, there's more in them. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. You know, us talk of uh, <clears throat> movies being turned into books reminds me of uh, books being turned into movies. You know, mm-hmm. I'd like to talk about a bit of a famous one, mm-hmm. Nosferatu and a Symphony des Grounds, or Nosferatu, a Symphony of Horror, which is a 1922 silent German movie mm-hmm. by F. W. Murnau. Oh. Remember that I was there. Which <laughs> remember that one? Which stars Max Schreck as the titular Nosferatu Count Orlock. Mm-hmm. Max Schreck, a man whose name literally means maximum fear, mm-hmm. which is one of the coolest things ever. If you want to see an interesting movie, uh, 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 Gods and Monsters. No, sorry, not Gods and Monsters. Shadow of the Vampire. I got my movies mixed up. Isn't here. that the one uh, with? It's about um, Nosferatu, but like mm-hmm. he's in behind the scenes and shows the Max Shrek mm-hmm. was a vampire. That's one has um, Willem Dafoe and John Malkovich. Right? I don't remember John Malkovich, but I I think he played F.W. Murnau. In it. I wanted to. Why am I not remembering John Malkovich? Did you guys did you guys see the that new Dracula show that's on Netflix? I didn't know yet. I didn't. Mm-hmm. It came out. I, th- I think it came out like last year, but. I saw the trailer for it. I've been scared to start watching. Hmm. I don't know. I guess I think I'd be good. Specular adaptations are kind of finicky at times. Funnily enough, this one, while being fairly closely a good um, adaptation. 100% kid. 100%. Hey. All right, Naveed. Interesting. Interesting. Produced by (coughs) one Nicolas Cage. Huh. That's fun. Are you serious? Yep. Hmm. No. This could have been. before you go to your main topic, we're going to do our new little segment. Because this could have been... No. This could have been because uh, uh, in this movie is John Malkovich, William <clears throat> Defoe, Harry Elways, <coughs> and Eddie Izzard. This would have been a movie where I would Oh, ask my God. You, yeah, that's... You would be like, that's, that's not a real movie. <laughs> I should watch this later, actually. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, it's, yeah. It, uh, it, it's kind of a... Uh, What's weird is it is a behind the scenes kind of movie, yeah. like the making of, yet it's also a horror movie. Yeah. So, but not like gory. Yeah. So it, 
it it mm-hmm. kind of keeps up the feeling of a movie from that period. What it probably would have been like. Yeah. Yeah. Nosferatu is a very good movie, though. It's a German expressionist horror movie, so you know it's along uh, with the what was it the uh, Cabinet of Doctor Caligari? I think is the other one that's mm-hmm. very well known. A very good film visually. Both are very excellent visually, but um, Nosferatu is just um was one of the earliest adaptations of Dracula. Actually, it got sued by the Stoker Estate. Um, and we almost lost the film completely because they burned all these copies of it, but like a few survived. Mm-hmm. What's what's with people in, in in burning things? They they do know that once they're burned, they're gone, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I. That's I, why they wanted to burn it. Like, have you? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Should we? Should we? Now that I think about it, should we maybe do like an episode where we like go out to the desert, see if we can go find all those buried ET <laughs> coffees? Like, <laughs> like we found them, guys. We found, Yo, we found them. We're going to They already did that. They, they already did that. <laughs> but um, who did? We did in the past. There's a whole <laughs> documentary about it. Yeah. Oh, I thought you meant like we did. No, in, no. A, in a different dimension. That's why I or said something. they did it. Um, we as in they from another dimension. <laughs> I thought the, would count as they. This movie <laughs> they does have uh, some great visuals in it, some very memorable ones. Actually, one of the things I love about it um, is that because of the fact that they couldn't really shoot at night, um, what they would do is they would have color filters over the film uh, as it played. So, um, if the film if the color of the screen was blue, that would signify night. If mm-hmm. it was red, it would signify um, early morning or dusk. Mm. If it was orange, it would indicate indoors or um, daytime. And I'm assuming that each desk came with a legend <laughs> for, for the color. <laughs> this means this. <laughs> it was a thing that was just generally assumed back then since that's like oh, how it was. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's a very interesting way of conveying that uh, rather than like the... Uh, day night that they did later where they just dimmed uh, the colors a bit um if if you want to have your mind blown just look at how older movies were made like just let's look up like behind the scenes for things yeah like, sometimes it's like if they're using a matte painting they, the matte painting looks insanely real i love matte paintings there is a hand drawn there's one of uh charlie chaplin where he's roller skating and it looks like he's going to go over this edge. And if you actually see what it is, you're like the map, like there's no, mm-hmm. nowhere for him to go, but he's just skating and it's so seamless. It's tons of, <clears throat> tons of Charlie Chaplin stuff was un- unbelievably like fascinating. And I, I there's it's either a documentary or a, just a video on just like Charlie Chaplin stuff. And a lot of the filming that he did with like, you know, the behind the scenes and you know some of the matte paintings that he did and just the you know the the illusions of of, of film yeah it was it, it's unreal sound it films so were cool very interesting I, yeah yeah absolutely they had to like act more because you know a lot of those actors like moved from the more vaudeville stages and stuff well so they like, also come from stage yeah that's why you get those like super dramatic gestures yeah because it's it's very dramatic, yeah. Metropolis and stuff, having a lot of very mm-hmm. uh, verbose expressions. We will have to talk about Metropolis one day. It's a fantastic movie, as we mm-hmm. all know. Um, but it's a very interesting because this is one of the earlier horror movies, and it's done in silent film, 
So it's even more unsettling to see like Count Orlock because a lot of his movements are just like slow creeping movements. Mm-hmm. And that things they do with shadows in the movie. It is fantastic what they do with shadows, with him like walking up those stairs up to um I forget what her name is, uh character. Well, uh pre World War Two German Ellen movies Hutter are really amazing. Yeah. You know, that like they like that their influence can be seen today. Yeah. You know. Like a lot, a lot of uh, a lot of things from even horror movies now that comes from back then when, yeah. when it was actually genuinely scary when something would pop out. Yeah, you know? and unlike it's like you just turn around, there's somebody there. Oop. You know, Sorry. that was perfect timing. <laughs> Why? Was how was that timing. so coincidental? <laughs> he he hit his phone the moment he said that. <laughs> he he scared me. I was sitting here. Jump. But um yeah, yeah it, a it, lot of it's it's you know it's a really good movie to uh to pick to talk about because yeah. of you know you wouldn't have your uh your Michael Myers and mm-hmm. Jasons and all that without you know a lot of what's in those movies. Yeah. Well the, that movie. Like the original like silence uh stalking monster and stuff. And hell, even that visual of um is what Count Orlock looked like is just a fantastic look for a vampire. The mm-hmm. pointed ears, bald head, and long fingernails. Well, it conveys the fact that he is a monster. Yeah. You know, it's a very it, good it, visual. It, I mean, it's <laughs> it, it's a sh- crazy sharp contrast from uh, that to the Anne Rice vampires and Twilight vampires and all that. Yeah. Where, you know, back then, you know, a lot of people 100% believe there are vampires around here. They're they even it's like crazy. There was even a belief that Max Shrek was a vampire, which makes sense because this is a scary ass looking dude. Yeah, that's a vampire. When when, <laughs> when you when you watch the movie, you'll uh, you'll enjoy that. Yeah, Defoe's amazing in it. <laughs> he is amazing in it. I mean, he's a great actor, honestly. Yeah. I very much love him. Yeah, a lot of those actors back then because of. Coming from, uh, you know, uh, uh, stage and and vaudeville, they they would do their own makeup. Yeah, we have we're missing. I believe uh, London After Midnight is a lost film, like complete lost complete film, because uh, Lon Chaney would, you know, had master of makeup. You you look at him in all these different movies, and I'm sure if you know you would try to do all that makeup now it wouldn't translate as well but um like if you just look at it it's like just amazing one person yeah yeah, yeah. like in a, his fan of the opera yeah mm-hmm. did his own makeup bonkers this mm-hmm. is, is pretty bonkers yeah i i am a man of subtle makeup try to i have failed mm-hmm. i understand that <laughs> uh, but I uh, was willing to learn. <laughs> well, gentlemen, we have come full circle to a point of mm-hmm. interest. We, we, we have a new, new little segment. It might not be every episode, but we have a new little segment. I'm going to explain. Well, not, not really. I, I'm going to say a couple actors that are in a movie, 
and then Zach and Naveed are going to try to figure out, is this a real movie? I'm not, I'm, I'm, it's first one, I'm going to go light on you. Okay. See if you can guess this <clears> one. And you might, you might go, yes, it is, but you've never seen it. But uh, I'm going to give you a go on it. Okay. Okay. So, are you guys ready for yes. whatever we're going to call the segment? Are we ready? Mm-hmm. 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 Hang on a second. So in this movie, we have a group of people who, uh, it's a black comedy, not meaning skin tone or uh, race. Um, the uh, Most of the characters are oblivious to what is actually going on, even though they are deep into the issue at hand. In this movie, you have John Malkovich, Brad Pitt, Hilda Swinton, George Clooney, J.K. Simmons. I ask you, Zach and David, is this a real movie? I'm going to... I'm going to say yes. This yeah, is, I'm going to say, gonna say yes. yes is a real movie. I don't know what it is, but it's a real movie. Real movie. What makes you think it's actually a real movie? So, so well, you, you want to go first? Go ahead. Yeah. So I think that, you know, the cast lineup just seems strange enough that it would make sense for these people to be in a black comedy together. Mm-hmm. It'd be a very interesting dynamic to have. See, now, normally you wouldn't have J.K. Simmons and Brad Pitt in the same room, but if it's for a black comedy... With John Malkovich, with who John is Malkovich, that insane. That is, that's the excuse necessary. <laughs> that's the excuse necessary. What if I say Francis McDormand's in this movie, too? Say, get the hell out. <laughs> is it a real movie, Dad? Is it a real movie? I say yes. I don't know. We're asking you. You're you're saying that this is a real movie. You can't change your answer. This is a real movie. Yes, so when I go movie. into this and tell you whether it is or isn't. Yes, it is a real movie. A real movie? Yeah. yeah. All right, it is a real movie. Yeah. yeah. What is it? Yeah. It's Burn After Reading. Burn After Reading. Burn After Reading. Helen Brothers. Uh, basically, the, the concept of the movie is uh, John Malkovich works for the government. Uh, he decides to write his memoirs, and he leaves the disc in his gym. And Brad Pitt, who is fucking hilarious in his movie, <laughs> <laughs> Brad Pitt's a pretty good actor. Um, he uh, um, he finds this disc, and he thinks it's full of government secrets. So he <laughs> is, as you would, he as is you would. trying to blackmail John Malkovich to to give this. And John Malkovich, who is like, what the fuck? <laughs> this is just a memoir. <laughs> but it does have. Like quite possibly one of my favorite lines from any Brad Pitt movie is where he's he says, "Are you worried about the security of your shit?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a good Samaritan, sir. <laughs> I highly recommend this movie. Um, it's not one of their most known movies, and the use of J.K. Simmons in it is is pretty good. J.K. Uh, Simmons is just awesome in general. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, a burn after reading. Uh, recommend it's 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 a fun movie. You know, if you if you have watched uh, Cohen comedies such as uh, you know Hudsucker Proxy, uh, Big Lebowski, Raising Arizona, you, you know Arizona is a good one. You I know, really like Raising. you know, yeah, you, you know, Cohen Brothers comedies. Yeah, I just want to go on like a real quick thing here because I'm reminded of something. Um, hearing Brad Pitt, uh, there's. Uh, I heard this from someone um, online who lives in the same town that like Brad Pitt uh, comes from. I forget where it is, but um, whenever um, a new movie of his would come out, because this person worked at uh, a, the, a movie theater there, like people would like go in to see the movie uh, starring Brad Pitt, no matter what movie it was, and they would say things like, "Oh, I knew Brad and his uh, family whenever he was younger," or some stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Or, oh, I babysit him, or I was his teacher, stuff like that. So what came out was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So these people would all go in, and so many of them came out pissed, like, oh, Brad would never do this movie. Oh, he couldn't have done this. Someone was a horseman is like, all this shit. It's like, he chose to be in this movie. Somebody's got a gun to Brad Pitt's head <laughs> the whole time. Just it's, off, off scene, he's like... <laughs> Delivering his lines. It's Quentin like Tarantino. Yeah, if, you, if, you zoom in, if you zoom in very carefully to Brad Pitt's eyes, you, you can see the see barrel of the rifle. You can see, you can see the barrel of the long-ass gun that Quentin Tarantino's like, holding. Brad, I didn't, I didn't like that delivery in that last line. Can we actually t- take, take, do that take again? You can, uh, whatever you say, man. Whatever if you, you say. If you look what? at the floor, you can notice the bullet holes at his feet were so <laughs> shooting at him. <laughs> Maybe that explains the bullet holes in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, man. <laughs> Because uh, Sam Jackson and John Travolta were forced to, you know, to mm. be in that movie, so that's what the bullet holes. Are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Well, well, uh, real quick, uh, we should at some point talk about uh, Quentin Tarantino's um, um, *Glorious Bastards* and uh, *Once Upon a Time in Hollywood*. Both of them are fantastic movies, and they're uh, basically just dealing with uh, uh, history. And change his versions of history and all that. He changes a lot of things. Yeah. But um, Zach. Zach. You have the floor. I Time do. to attack. Do actually. Yeah. Now that I think about it, actually, Inglorious Bastards have picked up like a lot of traction <laughs> lately. Have you seen that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. People are just posting clips on social media. I'm like, this they is used awesome. A lot of it for me. Like, all right. That's yeah. a great movie too. Um. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Christoph Waltz is fantastic. Christoph Waltz. Well, I actually think it's quite <clears throat> funny because my big topic actually fits right into pretty much what we've been talking about this mm-hmm. whole time. Mm-hmm. And my big topping, my big topping, your big topping. I guess my sprinkles. The, my, he's got a big some, old chair. My icing, <laughs> my icing on top of our cake. That is this episode. <laughs> um, is writing? No. Um, no. Which, no, absolutely not. <laughs> We're not doing this. <laughs> it, it is one of the oldest forms of media known to man. Mm-hmm. Um, it is still alive. It's still very prominent. It's still very popular. We use it every day. That's mm-hmm. what I'm going to be going to school for. Oh, I wish you all the best. I'm fucked. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> um, but, no, I, I think that writing, if approached correctly um, at a young age can really mold you. Um, and I, I knew whenever I was young that I 
I, I really enjoyed writing. Like English was like always my thing, and like I always would enjoy, you know, participating in class and doing these lessons, you know, doing these projects. Like doing an essay, to some extent, was more tolerable, I guess, to me. I mean, like, all right, well, like, you know, give me a topic and I'll put some ideas on paper. Jack, how, why the hell are you stealing my line? <laughs> this is my same fucking experience in English class. Oh. I literally bullshit my way through all my English classes in high school, and I made it through with all A's. Well, um, I didn't bullshit. I actually tried. If, I did. If you're saying so, that I was bullshitting. So I did try while I was there, but, like, I didn't have to try as much as some other people may have. Oh, jeez. Oh, I somebody get him off his pedestal. Knocked <laughs> out. I so I just I'm good at hey, writing. You're up and stuff. really high. You should come down here with us. I, I can't hear you, Naveed. Man, I never tree. brag about myself. I get one time brag. <laughs> you, this. Go for it, sir. Go no, you're it. good, man. So <laughs> I think you're right about that, though. I've been very interested in writing all my life and just like fantastical stories and stuff. My favorite writer is Neil Gaiman. So. Like, I've wanted, like, I've written before, but, like, I didn't really realize that, like, hey, I'm good at writing. I can do stuff with this until about sophomore year, I want to say. Right, right. Because that's whenever I first started to really, like, get into, like, writing stories and stuff. Mm -hmm. I I would write um, just, like, short stories whenever I was younger. And then I did, I did a couple comics that were absolutely atrocious um and i, I, I stopped I think that we've all tried i stopped comics. that like really quick I, I think i've told the story on here before mm -hmm. like i found him whenever i was older and i'm like what the fuck is this man um and but i i always would enjoy i i, I used to um sleep over at my grandparents on the weekends and if i ever woke up in the middle of the night i would you know, turn my night light on and just write something um, because it, it was, it was therapy to me. It, it yeah. was, it was a good way for me to put whatever I was thinking or maybe going through at the time on paper and kind of just turn it into this thing. And I'm, you know, if I'm could share like a personal experience here for a second, I, I think that was one thing that I kind of forgot about, um, that I just, like, like I've told you guys like outside of the show that I recently <laughs> got back into writing. Um, and I, I took, you want to stop coughing? I'm sorry. I <laughs> swallowed good. wrong there. You're good. No, I, I, I took a lot of time Again, off. Again, that sound I could have cut out. <laughs> See what you're fucking doing, Jack. <laughs> I'm just busting your balls now. Naveed, you might not be back here next week. You might not be back here next week. I might not be. <laughs> oh, it, shit. It'll be just me here with the microphone. Go, this is a lobby boy. <laughs> This, this is the lobby, lobby boy. I am the lobby boy. This is the lobby boy. I am the lobby boy. I'm Zach. <laughs> I'm Naveed. What the hell? I'm alone. <laughs> <laughs> Where are they at? They're all gone. Hello? They're all gone. The lobby boy. I, um... Uh... <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Uh, fast forward, fast forward. You were younger. All right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Waking up in the middle of the night. Comics right. that were shit. Uh, nightmares, nightmares. <laughs> um, no, but it. I recently got back into writing, and it's already been, you know, kind of putting me back on track in in events in my life, and and kind of getting me back into a more, you know, 
focused state of, of, of things and um, just kind of helping me see the road a little bit clearly now. Um, and just even just writing as a whole media, it, it's, it's something that's very important. And I think it's, I think it's kind of funny where, you know, you'd see, you know, pictures of like scripts and, and, and early drafts of like screenplays and things that people would like post on Instagram and Twitter and things. You go, huh, paper. But he took a picture of it. That's really cool. <laughs> and then, and then Whoa. books went paperless and then they, they went on your device and yeah. Still. I I could be I could be the stickler to say that and I I like the feel of the pages better. Same dude. Which I, I, I do initially and I'm willing to go the extra $20 mile to to do that. Well, here, here's Same. here's here's my problem with digital books. Um you don't smell as good. It it's rough on the smell. You don't um, run out of battery. <laughs> uh no, it's it's the fact that they cost exactly the same as the paper version. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. You know, because like I, I can understand like a physical copy and its price because you've got you've got the the, the buy the materials you've got to, um, you know, print it out. You know, you got to box it up and all that. And then you know the shipping, you know, and then wherever whoever might get it, they got to get a little money for them because, uh, you know. They want to make money. Both so, Barnes and Noble is so but, expensive. You know, the digital is it shouldn't be as much. It's the same I, I have the same thing with uh with digital music. Like it's not that I don't want, you know, people to get their money, but you know, it's it, digital is basically for the most part all profit. Mm-hmm. You know. So that's why, you know, people are gonna pay the same. They'll they'll just go, I might as well get the digital version. Yeah, you know, so companies get more profit. So why not just keep it at that? You know, in you know, it's you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because you and I we went to Barnes and Noble the other day, mm-hmm. and um, that was actually the first time that I was back in there for like a while, and I remember just walking in and just smelling the air. <sighs> that- then you got near the manga section, and we're like, ugh. <laughs> maybe on certain ones uh, no 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 but there's I've always um, just enjoyed like what literature is um, like I've, I've always had a respect for it and I I think that's another thing that, that helps with with people who enjoy writing is you know to have that that um, confound respect in, in what literature can become and you know what we've seen as in terms of like evolution of like screenplays and 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 novels and just um it's very fascinating to see how people's tastes have evolved over time and and things that have unfortunately have died out or things that are starting to reignite and pick up traction um it's pretty neat. What, what, what about you, Naveed? You said that you kind of had a, a a similar experience, <laughs> um, but um, and when you do yours, I'll do mine. I I lost my train of thought there. What? <laughs> you like actually lost your train? I, of I actually lost it. I, okay. I said okay. I I, I I'll, I'll, I'll you you regain yourself. Okay. Uh, so um, I've always been well, like I've mentioned on here 
few times. I, I'm dyslexic, so the feat of reading and writing for me is, you know, it's an amazement. And actually <laughs> reading the word dyslexia is in thin of itself a trial. Yeah, hmm. it is. But um, I, I, I first decided very young I wanted to write. And, you know, when you seem like you're not actually interested in things because you have a hard time, nobody is, they're not going to encourage you to get over that hump, you know, especially when they think that you're just being lazy you know, or, you know, maybe dumb because he doesn't seem to be getting stuff like that. Um, but, uh, I remember, like, I would stay up late at night. I'd watch the first thing I read was a detective story, and I put like, and, and I wrote it on. Brace yourselves, a mechanical typewriter. Oh, that's pretty rad. Not an electric actually. typewriter. Mechanical and typewriter. five years later, Dick Tracy it was was fun. Yes, and I am the author of Dick Tracy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I wrote this, and for whatever reason, we had these really long sheets of paper. They were like, you know, like, uh, I don't know, normal paper is 8 by 11 or something like that. But these were like, no, 7 by 11, and these were like uh, 7 by, uh, I don't know, like 16. <laughs> Jesus. It's just this really long paper. I have no idea why we had it, but I wrote this story and let everybody read it. I'm sure that if I could find it now, um, it would be like, ooh, (laughs) what's this? And everybody, everybody indulged me. And the fact that everybody did that, I was like, yeah, yeah, this is cool. Like I, I, I forever have been chasing that feeling. Um, (laughs) Damn. And then I wrote a second one. I got another piece of paper. Now, the stories was all just on one sheet of paper. <laughs> just one side. Oh, just one piece of paper. Yeah, just one piece of paper. The one side, that was it. You know, I wrote the whole story. Um, I'm sure it was a lot of like, they, you know, so-and-so comes in, and then this happens. Blah, blah, blah. This happens. This happens. The, the killer was so-and-so. The end. You know, kind of, you know. <laughs> Damn, at least I tried with my but, short um, story. <laughs> Are you are you dogging me I right miss, now? I'm are just... you dogging? Are you, do you want me to come after you with the vengeance of me, John Malkovich? <laughs> vengeance so of me. Malkovich there, <laughs> I'm going to go full Malkovich on you. Don't go full Malkovich. Malkovich. No. <laughs> so, <coughs> um, yeah, it, it it I just had that. I'm like, you know what? Like, creating is my thing. So anything I've done since was based on these random little short stories that I wrote and have always wanted to keep up that, that thing because, I, I don't know, it, it's always been in me. Like, uh, like when I was a kid, I would lie a lot. I would just blatantly lie to people, just to, like you know, tell friends like stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I slowly went from saying that, you know, oh, this happened to me, this happened to me. I, I just go into just telling um, a story about somebody. Yeah. You know, and just slowly evolved into, 
Uh, so like, I look back, I, I've always been a storyteller, you know, and maybe I we think, are brothers. <laughs> and, and I think it's what for I'm me, not. for me, it's evolved into, um, like I, I, like in my personal life, it's kind of like, you know, I'm as truthful as I can possibly be to everybody. So I can tell stories, focus anything in stories. So it's just, you know, something you kind of realize when you're younger and you get older and then, you know, the, the, the art that you create affects who you are in the long run. So, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, storytelling in whatever form for whoever's telling it is for some, it's mentally stressful to get from point A to point B. Some it's just that thing they absolutely have to do. They can't not do it. And for me, I'm, you know, I'm a, I have to do it kind of person. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. just, it's just there. And I remember when David was younger, he would, I, I would be, I'd be sitting in like, I had a, a little office and I'd be sitting in there and the door would open to the office and he would just have this big, like happy to see you look on his face. And I'm like, I'm happy to see you. Just not right now. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm in the middle of something. I'm trying here, man. But, uh, I've, 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 I've knows this and I've told Zach, um, I used to go to Barnes and Noble and I would just sit there for, I don't know, like three, four hours, at least once a week. And that, that would be my writing time. And I got so much accomplished by just being in that one place. That, 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 and if I kind of wanted to get a little inspiration, I'd get up, find a book, short stories, whatever. Well, I wouldn't read all of it, but I would kind of read, read it just to kind of get that, like, yeah, you accomplished this. I'm going to accomplish mine. Yeah. You know, and that, that, that feeling of, Accomplishing uh, just the smallest of stories really it gets me going. Like when, when I when I finish, like I have a tendency of starting a lot and not finishing. I, I've started more than I finished because I get to a point where I kind of don't want to finish it. Kind of enjoy where I'm at. Right. So right. instead of like, you know, overblowing it, uh my one my one my one problem I'll, I'll say is like I hate rewriting. Yeah. I think oh, that's yeah. my own problem too. Mm -hmm. I hate rewriting, but you need to rewrite. Yeah. Because to refine your idea. Absolutely. But uh, my prop my big problem is um I have to like I, I don't know if it's like the artist in me, mm. but I have to maintain that original vision. But you know, it's stupid to see I, it through to the end. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like sure, sure. On page thirty-five, you know, <laughs> they're in a pickle. But you know, my story—they're <laughs> gonna get out of it though. Just wait. You, you know, how do you think they got out of it? Um, <laughs> I hate that question. Well, how do you think it ends? Well, what kind of... Well... Well, how many of those is like a fucking you know, math problem? You know, one thing that I... Um, 
Go ahead, Naveed. Sorry, I, re- I regained my train of thought. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's ready. He's ready, ready to go. Damn, it's good. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, so, I, I, so one thing that I remember about my experiences in writing is that I actually had some stuff published. Mm-hmm. I did have stuff published in a uh, school newspaper, Zach. No counts. Uh, I, don't, still... I don't remember approving of that. <laughs> I don't remember approving that. Um, but so I first had like a short like story for like Halloween published out. I remember that one. And then I had like a serialized story that started getting published. Barely any editing to it. And I knew this. Because they put bastard into one of the chapters, but they did not change it. So a teacher was reading, was like, "Dan," it was like, "Geez, Navi, it's some language." I was like, "Why didn't they take that out?" I mean, bastard's not that, it's not that bad of a word. I it mean. isn't a, that bad of a word, but putting it in a school paper, I don't a high know. school paper, really. I, I was worried I was going to get in trouble, man. You, well, I mean, it's not your fault. Once it goes to the production process, then it's it's not your fault. Yeah. What 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 it comes out is, yeah, um, but. That was a time where, yeah, I had something that was out and I was putting it out fairly consistently and stopped writing it because of the fact that I was like, um, I don't know. But. Well, well, let me tell you this. Like when you, <coughs> whenever you feel like, like writing has to be a job, when it has to be an obligation, that can change your vision of you like you want to be able to feel like you can write you know like you want to you know like if you wake up in the middle of the night you know like i've said before you know, like you want to feel like you can you can pull out a notebook and put something down instead yeah. of like oh well, i'm up now so i should write something like so whenever you were writing for the school paper like i remember that you were putting out consistent stuff and then you kind of just pulled back a bit and I think I think we actually talked about that a little bit, and then yeah, you felt like it was kind of like a job at that point, and it was it was kind of messing with like the ideas that you've had. So, and just in general, like the idea of it, I was like, man, I'm just stealing from Guardians of the Galaxy straight up. I'm just gonna not do it anymore. Yeah. I'm gonna scrap this one. So I mean, <clears throat> it's I believe that's another hurdle that you you have to really get over, especially if you want to make writing a professional thing. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that I admire the most, um, in my opinion, about professional writers and, and um, different types of, of novels and you know all of these things that we have is when the money gets involved. Yeah. Right. And it's like, will this change how this author sees things, right? And you're like, whenever, you know, you could be the best writer in the world but you you make millions of dollars from getting this one issue published and and now all of a sudden you're 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 writing shit because mm. honestly you you could you're set for life so what else is there to really do why do you have to keep trying your best well some writers sadly like like all their early stuff is just really good stuff because that's the stuff yeah. they they have to get out. Now they're on that like, mm, right? Like, uh, I, I I finished the last David Wong book, and I didn't like it as much as the first two. I don't know if uh, it was too big for me because I I like 
I, I love the first book because of how small it is. I mean, it's still big, but it's small. It's big, very small. self-contained. Then the second book does get bigger. Mm-hmm. And then the third book is even bigger. You know, like, like yeah, you can do that. Uh, you don't have to have, like, you know, like, like it's not poorly written or anything. <clears throat> it may be just a perspective for me. Right. Um, but there are some, some writers that, like Stephen King, cranks out a lot of stuff. Um, he especially cranked out a lot of stuff when he was coked up in the 80s. Well, he's actually put out more now than when he was coked up. Really? Yeah, because he, he just narrates now yeah. while somebody writes for him because his vision's all wonky. Mm-hmm. Um, but, no, like, he'll put out, like, let, let's say he puts out, um, I don't know, say he puts out seven books. Maybe two of those seven people will be like, good book. And then one of those two books, people go, this is really, really good. Yeah. And some of those is just like, <laughs> uh, like Stephen King has like a weird, um, just a weird, like publishing history of his books. Like you get the Dark Tower stuff, which is crazy and meta. <laughs> and then you yeah. got it, you know. But then, you know, he's, like, at some point, you know, because he's a comic fan, you know, he starts connecting everything. <laughs> yeah, every everything is shared universe. Yeah, it, it, it is. You know, before, you know, Marvel movies and just <coughs> Stephen King books, you know, um, which, which is neat. But, uh, like, I think for the most part, most writers have a novel in them. Mm-hmm. Whether it's their first novel or their second novel, but you know, you know, some writers they have just that one novel where it's like at some point, you know, whether it's when it's published or after, because maybe the first two novels people are like, oh, that's all right, well, this is all right. You hit that third one, and it's like, whoa, you know. Okay. Sometimes what they happened have a with those other two? Drafting the first one could be that, um, but yeah, it's uh, it's. It's interesting being a writer of any type, you know, whether it be a screenplay, a novel, uh, children's books, whatever. Um, that drive deep down is it. It's not. A, I think not. That, like athletes have that same kind of drive for what they do. They find that little thing they love, and then they grab it and they go. You know, writers, they find that, you know, like, I, I like writers that don't stick to specific genres, but still have that little flavor of, uh, you know, all of it. So, you, you two are a little more motivated with writing than I am right now. You know, like, like I, I, haven't been writing like I want. And for the most part, it's, uh, I, I've been very good at distracting myself. It's like, yeah, I got this thing to write. Mm-hmm. Got this thing over here I got to be doing right now. You got to lay be... off the duty, man. You got to lay it off man. the duty. There's that. But 
for the most part of that I I play later in the day. So it's like <laughs> there's an excuse already. Well, no, 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 after no, no. all that, your stuff, you no, know, no, 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 later no. in the day after eating dinner and after work, you know. No, no, later in the day as in time. right before bed. I'm just I'm just <laughs> yanking your chain. What you can't right before bed? Well, I, I mean it used to be like I get home, boom, I'm on. Yeah. <laughs> it's like <laughs> I'm on, I'm in. What are we doing? Where's everybody at? He's in boys. Why aren't you here now? I'll be on in an hour. What? An hour? Like, oh yeah, I'm gonna be a little later. What do you mean later? You said an hour. Um, no, it like if there's anything I have learned about uh anybody that I've known that's creative, uh even the the hardest core I gotta do this person has their their lazy moments. Mm-hmm. Whether it be, yeah, you know, normally I write eight pages a day. Daily three. Yeah, <laughs> jeez. <laughs> But uh, no, like, um, I think getting getting insight from professional writers and learning that, like, you know what? As long as I keep doing it, I'll be fine. Whatever happens with it, whatever. But the fact that, uh, like Neil Gaiman, his 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 fight for, uh, his fight about, uh, writer's block and how to get through it. Sounded crazy at first. I'm like, but you have writer's block. How 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 is it just writing? That's still writing. You you know that's right. You know, and it's not necessarily what you write. It's the fact that you're writing. Let's say that day you get through a whole page, and it's gibberish, but you wrote. Mm-hmm. You're 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 still writing, whether you just know that you're going to throw that away or. Or what? Mm-hmm. I had a friend, Mark. Well, I guess we're still friends, but I just haven't talked to him for a while. But he, uh, he's always writing, like constantly writing. Uh, he was working on this this werewolf novel, and he was writing it, and he's like, got to a point where I didn't like where where it went after uh, one of the chapters. I was like, oh, what are you going to do? He goes, oh, I deleted it. I'm like, what? <laughs> I was like, how much did you delete? He goes, I don't know. 70 pages. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, are you crazy? He goes, he goes, no, I didn't like it. Didn't want it. Got rid of it. I'm like, didn't that's even fair. like that's, save it as a backup. He fair. goes, no, I didn't want to use What's it as a, a crutch. What's a backup? <laughs> no, no, I'm just mean like, you know, different drafts. You know, he, he's like, no, I got rid of it because I knew it wasn't working for the story. So he got rid of it. He didn't want to be like, take this and put this in. He's got more bravado than I do, man. It, it's just straight like, up deleted it. Just straight up gone. Oof. Not even like, you know, I'll, maybe there's something in here I could save for later. Nope, didn't like it, so he just got rid of it. Like, that is fucking mind-blowing. I have a box in storage of, well, boxes in storage of notebooks of just random gibberish I have written, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. that I guarantee I'll never do anything with, but I still fucking have it. I have Folder upon folder upon file in different computers right now of stuff I never look at again, but I have. But you have it. Because I put, I put something into it. It's in uh, getting attached is, is one thing a lot of writers do. You know, it's where the you know, kill your darlings from mm-hmm. because you, you've got to be in service of the story, not your process. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's a good way. It, 
why uh, Jose Marie talks about him writing. Uh, I just keep saying, just do it. Just keep doing it. Just do it. Um, I'm trying to like do that thing of just at least getting something out. Mm-hmm. And basically how that is for me is I'll write what I like to call dump stories, which is just stuff where I just dump things into. I'm just like, what's an idea? All right, it's here. What's something that no one else would read, but I just want to get out? Here it is. Yeah. It's not stuff I'm going to publish, but you know, it's something. A lot, a lot of musicians do that. Like if you, like in recent years, what, what's been really cool with digital stuff, going back to, we're talking about some digital versus physical. Um, they, like older albums, they've put out the outtakes for things. Mm-hmm. So you get a lot of, a lot of songs where you'll get the, uh, like first drafts up so you can see like where that came from and where it is and ended up uh recently excuse me i was watching a video clip of rolling stones working on sympathy for the devil in the recording studio and at this point um mick jagger hadn't got all the words at some point you know if you really if you if uh if you check out how a lot of singers do things like sometimes when somebody's writing something they want to work out the structure of the song first and then start putting the words in or they'll have some of the words and they'll have that and then you know they got to figure out a little later because you know music's playing and then you have like a mm, 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 you know like them doing something like or just kind of like uh you know how they want to mm-hmm. sing the words to go along with that part of the song it which you know oh that's really interesting and um, don't really get something like that for novels. Yeah, like American Gods, there was a chapter, not really a chapter, but a part of the book that Neil Gaiman took out. Uh, in the tenth anniversary edition, he put it back in as like uh, uh um, like an extra Easter egg. Mm-hmm. No, it was an extra. <laughs> uh, because like it was Easter. after the story. But he did put a little more into the book, you know. So some some books like uh, Stephen King's uh, had done it with the stand, where they cut out a whole bunch of the stand, and then when the anniversary edition came out, they put it all back. So it's that's the version everybody likes. Like they like the yeah. first one, but the new one, the the uh, unedited version, I guess you can say, uh, which you know, like authors get edited by their publishers. Hence why they have editors. Yeah, like they'll be like you, you know, it's 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 good to have this second set of eyes, so you do get these little things where something's cut out. Um, but I think Neil Gaiman took out because basically what it is is the character of Shadow meets Jesus, has a conversation with him. You know, but it's the Americanized version, of Jesus, so he's kind of like a hippie. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah. It's uh, hmm. it, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, you get you get that little insight of that thing that was there, then it, you took it out. Um, uh, other things that are cool is like maybe you liked a world that you created and like that. I like to dip my toe back in. So, you know, that thing with Stephen King with short stories. You know, he kind of dips his toes in like the same place, but not the same people. It's kind of where I'm at with uh, one thing. I've been just creating a world, sort of, mm-hmm. or more of just the concepts for these worlds mm-hmm. um because i've got a mech story that i'm working on cool 
Um, like, uh, like themes are interesting for some writers. Yeah, Stephen King mainly stays sticks with horror and that. Uh, Neil Gaiman with his fantasy. Um, got yeah, uh, Brad Meltzer with uh, uh, his like political intrigue kind of stories. Uh, even though he's wrote a really interesting. A comic story that some people hate, some people love. I'm one of the people who love it. Um, Identity Crisis. Mm. Um, he, uh, you know, he does kids' books and all that. So it, it's got an output. The man's got an yeah. output. Um, but uh, like uh, Neil Gaiman has done some short stories. To like one short story he has. Uh, in uh, fragile things, I think it is. I might be wrong. Um, where he uh explains something from the uh the television adaptation of Neverwhere. Yeah, it was uh, fragile things. Uh, it's uh, how the marquee guys come back, I yeah. believe. Which the title of it is a spoiler <laughs> <laughs> if you haven't seen the show. So, um, which, which it was funny that he did that little story. He didn't, didn't need to, but he enjoyed that world and enjoyed, uh, something that was created from the world of Neverwhere is very interesting. Mm -hmm. It is pretty cool. It's got like that theme of Neil Gaiman that I really enjoy, which is sort of, and I like to call it, um, realistic, modern fantasy. It's like a classic fantasy too. Yeah. Like. Um, I know I've, I've, I have friends that are like, I don't really like Neil Gaiman and like his, his stuff has kind of, uh, um, it has his own voice, but a lot of what he does is similar in some ways to these writers or those writers, which is cool because, you know, when you're a writer, most of the time, you use your influence as your mm-hmm. like, like I said about just picking up a book, reading a little bit, and then just getting that little juice going. Getting that, it's like um, a little push. Yeah, it's know? a push. Yeah, yeah it's a push. Like uh, Neil Gaiman has a master class. Oh yeah, on uh, on writing. There's there's a couple that have master classes on writing. Um. But the fact that, like, yeah, they're getting paid for it, but to really, um, to re- Zach made a hand gesture. <laughs> it was weird. I didn't think you'd see it. <laughs> How does he not see that? I saw your hand waving you around. Him <laughs> off. Oh, he was in it. Yeah, continue. You screwed me, Zach. You screwed him up. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. You're good, man. I lost track of thought. No. No. uh, Even though they do get paid for these, it's, you know, they could be doing something else. Yeah. Yeah. And and the videos themselves aren't that, they're not that long. Uh, A lot of it's lessons. Mm. But, you know, it's helpful for some people, for sure. Yeah. Stephen King wrote the first line for The Dark Tower. And had no idea what to do with it. Put it in a drawer and later on pulled it out and finished it. You know, and then like multiple novels later. I got two things I love. Um, 
it was Stephen King. First off, that uh, whenever he threw away uh, one of his drafts for Carrie, his wife picked it mm. out of the trash and was like, what is this? He's like, ah, it's nothing. He's like, no, no, keep going with this. It's good. Yeah. And then that um, he had like a large influence on like the modern vampire with Salem's Lot. Like we would not have a lot of modern vampire media well, without that book. Well, Salem's Lot is a throwback to Nosferatu. Nosferatu. Like well, the... more of the adaptation is a throwback to Nosferatu with um, because he doesn't look like Nosferatu in the book. He looks it, more like that in the adaptation. It's it's all, yeah, yeah. It's all the same. It's actually uh, one of the funny things with that is like uh, how I imagined it was um, what if Dracula came to like modern day America? Was mm-hmm. uh, his thought? He's like, well, if he got to New York, and his wife was like, well, he'd get hit by a taxi probably. So, like, he pondered on that. It was like, what if he went to a small town in America instead? And so he chose, he made a small town for a vampire like Dracula to try and conquer. Um, well, one thing, you know, that you talk about and stuff like that, that I find stupid that people are like, well, cell phones and the internet ruin, like, being able to tell stories. No. Like, no. Maybe use they can add to something. Like there's there's some things you watch that uh like movies and, and books that using those devices kind of creates you know, you can create like with a cell phone, you can create a disconnect. Yeah. With you know, it's like yeah, they're in contact, but you can show like, you know, how people are really disconnected right now because, you know, they do everything over their phone. Going back to the analogs of books. It's kind of like why, um, you know, saying oh, hi to somebody uh, over the phone is like, okay, I said hi, but like when you're in person, shake that hand, give them a hug or something like that. That's that's more tactile. You know? Yeah, you're a little more connected. Do you want a hug? To I think that's. I always need a hug. <laughs> I think it's a creative thing that was uh, done in uh, Scream was a uh, usage of like a phone to like terrorize mm-hmm. someone. That uh, opening scene. Ah, uh, yes, that call you get from your father after school. <laughs> no. That is that that that's where Scream oh, started. Oh God. <laughs> um, yeah. Though I, I don't think that like you can really take away from that. People are like trying to do something with technology mm-hmm. and stuff, and sometimes it's worked. Like Black Mirror, for a while I heard was doing fairly well with that, but then I heard recently it's kind of been iffy. Black Black Mirror, it's a it's a good idea. It's a good idea. It Black Mirror's the modern Twilight Zone. Yeah. It it yeah, needs. Too. I know what you're saying. It, it needs a little bit more direction. What what I think, would, but it, it's a good idea. I, yeah. I don't I don't think that I don't I don't think that Black Mirror should stop. I, I think that I, you should kind of look into the creator of it. Uh, he's like a futurist, so oh, okay. Um, yeah, definitely look into that and his philosophy on technology. It, it's it goes back to kind of like you know just my simple speaking about you know the phone, like well the movie her. That's a good movie. You know that that's kind of a commentary a on it. Yeah, it's a it's a commentary on it. It's about where I'm going to be in a few years. Mm. <laughs> Having sex with your phone. Wow. Uh, okay, Naveen. I mean, okay. <laughs> what do you want to do? Do what you want to do. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. 
I think that uh, it, it, it's definitely a subject we could just sit here and talk and talk and talk and talk about. I mean, there's a lot of things that we can just keep going on about. There's so many branches to go off of. Mm-hmm. But we only have so long. Yes. We have so long in this world. Yeah. And we have come to the end of our episode. Yes, we have. Mm-hmm. Oh. We enjoy you all, and we thank you for listening to us Yeah, here yeah. at the uh, thank you for listening. Lobby Boys podcast. Absolutely. My name is Terry. My name is David. And I am Zach. Thank and you keep, all for listening. And keep chasing your dreams, because you just might catch them. Later, all. You know, folks, keep chasing that dragon. Thank you, everybody. You always gotta make it weird.